Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. This week, we're talking about the rapture. It's been in the headlines. We've seen another uh, claim about rapture, uh, setting a particular date. In this case, it was May, uh, 20, or May uh, 21st, 2011. And that day has come and gone. And yet no rapture. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to interrupt what I had already planned for this week, talking about the magisterium found in the church, or found in scripture rather, to take a moment to talk about the rapture. What is the rapture? Is there a rapture in scripture? What do Catholics believe about the rapture? Well, the short answer is no, there isn't a rapture found in scripture, at least not one that matches what you see in the movies and the headlines. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That intro song is Lead Me On by Josh Blakesley off his album Waiting. And of course, as always, you can find a link to his website and his music, as well as the show notes and the links for today's episode on the rapture at www.catholichack.com. Well, before we get started in the topic, I have an announcement to make. I have an initiative that I'm that I'm kicking off. It's, it's sort of a project that I'm inviting you to, to join me in this work of evangelization. It's the Lighthouse Catholic Media CD of the Month Club. Now, I have partnered with them in an effort to, to do a couple of different things. This is a unique program. When you subscribe to this program, you will receive these audio CDs directly sent to your house of some of the greatest speakers in the church today. People like the Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. Brant Petrie, Dr. Edward Shree, uh, Father Robert Barron, and so much more. This is rock-solid material. Now, we are all called by virtue of 
the baptism that we receive, the sacrament, the encounter with the risen Lord in the sacrament of baptism, we are called to evangelize, to share the faith, to always be ready, to give a reason for the hope that lies within, 1 Peter 3.15. But have you ever thought about being ready to be the utensil in the hand of the Holy Spirit? to be ready to be used by God in those unique moments of evangelization. Let's say you're in your office and a coworker happens to ask a tough question about the faith. Are you ready to give that coworker some material? Are you ready to give a family member, a friend, somebody you bump into at a restaurant? And let me tell you something. I have found myself in those positions many times buying coffee and being asked about the Catholic faith, sitting and trying to eat lunch at a restaurant and being asked about the Catholic faith. These CDs will make outstanding uh, evangelization tools, tools for you to help share your faith. None of us can be experts in the faith. I am a hack for a very good reason. It's not because I find myself very knowledgeable or uh, attuned on apologetics or the Catholic faith or theology in general. It's that I'm a passionate Catholic Christian who desires deeply to share the faith with the entire world. Aren't you? Well, you too can do that. And one of the ways is through these CDs. I find them to be very useful, very powerful uh, tools in the evangelization. And I want to share this with you. And so I would encourage you, please consider joining and subscribing to the CD of the Month Club, my personal 500 club. It's a personal endeavor. It's a goal that I'm setting. I want 500 listeners to join this program with me, to engage in the, the work of evangelization by sharing these CDs with friends and family, coworkers, strangers, people that you just run into. Keep them in the car with you. Have them on you so that when that moment arises, when the Holy Spirit gives you a moment, that you can take this out and say, here, listen to this and uh, let me know what you think and we'll talk about it after. You can do this by signing up through my website at catholichack.com. You'll see a link posted for every episode. Also on the left-hand side on the bar, you'll see under the featured column there, the Lighthouse Catholic Media logo. You'll click on that and then you'll be able to subscribe. For as little as $5 a month, you can join this program, the the Catholic Hacker 500 Club. And uh, I think I'm going to start some incentives. So those who join me in this 500 Catholic Hacker Club will receive other incentives, like, for instance, CDs of my talks, uh, maybe some other goodies that I can come up with later down the road. So stay tuned for all of that. But I would sincerely appreciate your support. Not only will you uh, be subscribing to a phenomenal program in evangelization, but you'll be supporting a great Catholic ministry, Lighthouse Catholic Media. You'll also be supporting my own work in the evangelization. So if you appreciate what I what I do, if you if you find value in in, in this, these episodes of the Behold the Man and and all the stuff that I post on my website at CatholicHack.com, well, I would sincerely appreciate your support by signing up into this program through my website at CatholicHack.com. And then lastly, you'll be supporting yourself in the work of evangelization, supporting yourself and sharing the beauty, depth, and, and just the richness of the fullness of the faith found in the Catholic Church, the church that Christ f started with Matthew and the disciples. Okay, so that's the Catholic Hacker 500 CD of the Month Club, and I would encourage you to stop by my website 
and sign up today, catholichack.com. Now, let's begin with our program with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All praise and glory be to you, Almighty God, as we come again to sit at your feet to study your word. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to inspire us, to lead us to truth, which is a person. And we pray for those who are still suffering in the southern states, thanks to those tornadoes that came through. So many people were devastated, Lord. We pray that you will have mercy on all who have lost their lives. We pray for the repose of their souls. We ask that you strengthen those who are coping with their losses and rebuilding and struggling. My Lord, may you provide for all of their many needs. We pray for those who do not know Jesus Christ. We pray that God will give us the courage and the strength to share with all the world Him who has died, who has been risen, who has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father in glory forever, reigning as Christ in His church. We pray that we can share that with all the world. God, give us the strength and the courage. We pray for our separated brothers and sisters in Christ. May God unite us in His church. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Dear God, mercy. Remember your covenant, O Lord, and have mercy. Remember the shed blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We pray for our Lady to intercede for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The rapture. Where is it in Scripture? Is it in Scripture? One of the most commonly uh, quoted verses to defend the the novelty, as I will call it, of the rapture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, quote, But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do or who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Unquote. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now recently in the headline news, Harold Camping from uh, Family Radio has, uh, since 2002 actually, has spread the idea that the rapture will take place on May 21st, 2011. Well, of course, that day has come and gone, and, and the rapture didn't take place. But this is another example, and actually a long line of examples, of people who thought they could predict the end of the world, or the rapture, the pre-trib, post-trib. You know, there's all kinds of flavors of, of thought and belief within Protestantism 
on what all this means. And we're going to get into some of that briefly, and I'll link to some articles with some more detailed information at catholichack.com. But unfortunately for camping, you know, he missed the mark. So the question is, does 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 indicate that there will be a rapture of believers? So the question arises, what is the rapture? Where did it come from? Is it scriptural? And what does the Catholic Church teach about this, quote-unquote, rapture? Well, the idea of rapture is connected with the passage in Revelation chapter 20 that speaks of Christ's thousand-year reign. It's referred to as the millennium. We read it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and th- one through 3 and 7 through 8. It says, quote, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loosed for a little while. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be loosed from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth. So, as a result, there are basically three schools of thought about when Christ comes to reign and bring about this judgment, which the rapture is linked to, this thousand-year reign spoken of here. So, the the three schools of thought are post-millennialism, ah-millennialism, and pre-millennialism. Okay, so the post-millennialism, meaning after that millennial reign, basically thinks about it this way, that the gospel is preached to all the world here and now, that most of the world will accept this gospel, and there will be some sort of golden age where peace will reign as a result, that Christ will come, a second coming, there will be a resurrection of the dead, and then judgment. But in this post-millennialism, they believe that that thousand-year reign is really a figure, okay? It's a symbol. It really means just a very long time. They don't believe it to be uh, literal. Okay, so that's the post-millennialism. The ah-millennialist crowd believes that Christ is presently ruling, right here, right now, is ruling in his kingdom in heaven and through his church on earth. They don't believe in a golden age to come, you know, where peace will reign and everybody will accept Jesus and and the lion and the lamb are all going to hang out together. They don't believe that's going to happen this side of the judgment. Okay, there's so there's no golden age. There's no there's no time when the good are separated from the evil. They believe good and evil will exist next to one another all the way up until the end. They believe that Satan is bound, okay? He is held back from his full power and might. That he is acting in the world, but he's restrained so that that gospel can be preached. And the all-millennials believe that the thousand years is also symbolic and not literal, but just generally means a very long time. Then there's the pre-millennialist crowd. Now, this is more of the the people that you'll see in the headlines, okay? The the fundamentalists and the evangelicals, they are in the pre-millennialist crowd. Okay, they believe that peace will come about. There will be a golden age of peace and harmony that ever that the vast majority of folks will accept Christianity, right? They believe that this occurs 
after the second coming, which is an interesting time twist there of the chronology. They believe that Christ reigns physically on earth, not in heaven. So they believe that when Christ comes, he sets up his kingdom here on earth physically and reigns for a literal 1,000-year period. And then the judgment happens after that literal 1,000-year period. Okay, So that's the pre-millennialism crowd. So I hope that wasn't too confusing. Check out the show notes and the links to articles for a little more detail at catholichack.com. Now, generally speaking, all believers believe in a tribulation period, a period where there will be lots of persecution. Now, where we get into trouble is uh, the rapture, because the rapture is believed that, that they'll be taken out at least at some point, either before in the middle or after or even during that tribulation period. So we'll get into that here in a moment. So the rapture, as understood by modern fundamentalists and evangelicals, but mostly the pre-millennialists, okay? This is really an invention. It's a novelty of the late 1800s. Nowhere do you find the rapture theory being perpetuated as something to be believed in the first 1800 years. I mean, go back to the year, let's say, 170 A.D. Demonstrate for me where the Christians believed in a rapture. I can demonstrate for you where they believed in the Eucharist and confession to priests and bishops and the Pope. And I I can show you the Mass in 170 A.D. Can you show me the rapture in 170 A.D.? How about 200? How about 250? How about 300, 350, 400, 500, 600, 700, etc.? You're not going to find rapture anywhere up until the late 1800s. And basically, uh, it was a universal belief in the all-millennialist view that Christ is now reigning in his kingdom, that his church on earth is his kingdom, as well as Christ on his throne in heaven. The gospel is being proclaimed. Satan is bound, not allowed his full, full fury on the world so that that gospel can be preached, that the believers will suffer here on earth alongside the wicked all the way up until the end, that Christ will have a second coming and then judgment. Okay, so that's basically the all-millennialist view, and that was the view that's being held for uh, for the first 1,800 years, up until all of a sudden comes along John Nelson Darby, and he comes up with his dispensationalism, and he started to teach about this rapture that would happen prior to tribulation. So in his view, Christian believers will be raptured out just before the bad times start happening. Well, golly gee whiz, isn't that convenient that the that the faithful don't have to undergo any suffering because Christ doesn't like suffering, right? Well, there is the whole Good Friday and Passion part of our faith. You see what I'm saying? We all like Easter Sunday, but we just don't want to get there by Good Friday. You see, in the eyes of God, suffering is is redemptive. If we lose track of that, then we've lost a major key part of the faith. How does God prepare us for eternity? Through purgatory, through purging us, through suffering, redemptive suffering. John Nelson Darby apparently misses that and started to teach the rapture theory. 
Well, this theory started uh, to be perpetuated, propagated rather, by C.I. Schofield in his Bible, the Schofield Bible, in the footnotes, he started to teach this and people caught on and they, and they took it from there. So this is really a novelty of the late 1800s in England and in the United States. We see from the same period, Jehovah's Witnesses pop up. Mormons pop up, and many, many, many other Christian flavors, if you will, denominations, you know, all of these other splinter lines started popping up all over the place during this period. I don't know what was going on during that period, but something had to be because craziness ensued. Okay, so here's the question. Is the rapture scriptural? Well, let's take a look. Let's look at St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Let's start in verse 34. Quote, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Unquote. So that's uh, St. Luke chapter 17, verses 34 through 37. Does this teach the rapture? certainly sounds like it. One will be taken, the other left. I mean, when we start to think about that verse in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 about being caught up in the air, doesn't that sound like this? One will be taken, the other left. I mean, we've seen the billboards. We've seen the bumper stickers. In case of rapture, this car will be left unattended. We've seen the movies. We've heard about the books about the being left behind. By the way, a very anti-Catholic series depicting the Catholics all being left behind while all the, the believers, quote-unquote, the Bible believers, quote-unquote, were raptured away, right? Very anti-Catholic. So does this teach that? One is taken, one is left. No, the answer is no. Why? Well, let's back up and take a look at the context here. If you back up all the way to verse 20 and read all the way to the end, you're going to see the context about what's being taught here. Look at verse 21. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you, Jesus says. In the midst of you. Okay, if I had more time, I'd talk about what that meant. It means the church. It means the church which Christ founded, perfected, taking from the old, perfecting it into the new, establishing a new uh, hierarchy, a new minister, the, the, the Pope, Peter, the Sagan Hakohanin, the chief steward, the over the house, right? I could go on and on, but that's what he's referring to there. It's in the midst of you. It's the church. What is the analogy given to explain the one will be taken and the one left? Look at verse 26. Noah. Noah is the analogy given to, to, to explain this. The very key to interpreting this is the context given. Noah. He says, in the days of Noah, right? Let's look at um, verse 26. As it, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. That's the key to understanding this verse, Noah. So here's the question. With Noah and those with him in the ark, who was taken and who was left? The wicked people were taken away, swept away by the floodwaters. Who was left? The righteous Noah and his family on the ark were left behind 
there, replanted as a new Adam on a new mountain in a new garden with a new covenant. We've talked about that on the show before. But who was left behind? Not the righteous. No. I mean, I'd rather I had it backwards. The righteous were left behind. It was the wicked who were raptured out of there, if you will, taken, if you will. So in a, in a rapture-like scenario, do you want to be taken or do you want to be left behind? Well, if Jesus has given us Noah as the example, I would rather be left behind and not raptured out. Because why? Because I would like to be numbered among the sheep, among the righteous, and not the goats, the wicked. Okay? So, and now the, the context is key here to understanding that verse. It is, the, it is the righteous who will be left behind and the wicked who will be taken, not the other way around. So now let's go back and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Does this teach rapture as we looked at once again? Now, it was the, the caught up in the air, okay? That, that very powerful verse there that seems to suggest a rapture-like scenario. That then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So here's the question. Where is this where in this passage do you see Christ coming down from heaven meeting the believers and then returning to heaven you see in most of the premillennial view of where rapture fits in they don't stick around for the tribulation no god comes and plucks them out and they don't have to go through all of that suffering so there's some like another coming here so jesus comes takes all the believers and goes back to heaven in their view. The question is, where is that in scripture? Nowhere are you going to find a verse that talks about Jesus coming down, taking the believers and then heading back to heaven. It doesn't say that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says that they go to meet him and then they are with him. It doesn't say he turns around and goes back to heaven. They're just meeting the king as he's coming. Again, verse 17 then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. When a dignitary happens to come and visit the United States, what you'll see on the news sometimes is a whole crowd, a whole host of people going to the airport to meet the plane. For instance, when the president of the United States visits foreign countries, you see this all the time. People will go out in big numbers to meet the president, to greet him. They'll go outside their city, greet the president, and then escort him back in. The same is true for Jesus Christ. At the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, what happened? The people came outside the city. They sang Hosanna. They waved the palm branches. They laid their garments on the road and he passed over on a donkey. We talked about this back on episode 78 and 79, how this depicts Jesus as the new wise king, better than King Solomon, riding on a donkey, triumphantly entry, uh, tri <laughs> entering into Jerusalem, triumphant as a king, right? So what do the people do? They go out to meet him and then they are with him, escorting him back. 
That is the image that we have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This was the practice of the day in the ancient world, in all ancient Near Eastern cultures. And so this is what's going on. The faithful at the end of time are going to meet the King of Kings as he returns in the second coming. They're not going up to heaven. They're meeting the King and he's coming down for judgment right? That's it. So believers are more likely caught up to meet the king who is coming down. Nowhere will you find a verse that says they they take them and they go back to heaven and then he comes back a third time some other time. That just doesn't happen. So that's the general nutshell of what's going on in rapture. It's just not there. It's not there like they want it to. They just read their own personal biases into the, the verses instead of taking the context from the verse and forming the opinion that way. Here's some other problems with rapture. They tend to create more than one come more than one uh, coming. You got Christ coming in his birth, the advent. Then there's a second coming with the judgment. That's the the accepted view. But in all of these other sort of splinter ideas, you have more than one other coming. You got a third, a fourth, and sometimes even multiple comings. You got a coming before tribulation, during tribulation, after tribulation, sometimes broken up in many uh, comings. But that's not, that's contrary to scripture. John chapter 6 in verses 52 through 54 says quite clearly, He says, 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. First Thessalonians 4 makes it clear. What happens? The dead rise first. Then they join them all to meet the king in the clouds. Jesus says in John chapter 6, that they will, he will raise them up on the last day. So when is the last day? The day of judgment. There are many, many other problems like suffering and the tribulation. But let me leave you with this. Matthew chapter 24 says quite clearly, verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. Is there a rapture? No, not like you're reading the headlines. But we will see our Lord coming and we will meet him there. But that's the day of judgment. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.